Hey folks, this is Tristan Miller. Who the hell else would it be? This is my podcast. Great opening. So this week's guest is Mike Drucker. He is a stand-up comedian, podcaster, and writer, and he's great. You should follow him on Twitter, at Mike Drucker. Um, we have a great conversation about working while depressed, and stand-up comedy, and how the business has changed, and that sort of thing. Um, also coping mechanisms, and that sort of thing, with uh, anxiety, and so forth. Here's the thing, though. We had some technical difficulties. Um, the last 10 minutes of the interview are gone. Not that you would have known, but it does kind of end abruptly. Uh, that's fine, I think. We have a great conversation. It's a little bit of a shorter episode, but I think you guys will like it and get some really good stuff out of it. I was really happy to have Mike on the podcast. I'm a big fan of his, and I think you will be too. He's a good guy and a real mensch for doing this. And you can see him next month with me at QED doing Quip It Good, where a panel of comedians and I play Quiplash for the amusement of an audience. Um, And that is at 9 o'clock at QED on September the 12th. So come see Mike there and go, well, what did you talk to Tristan about that we never heard? And he will go... I don't remember because it was a month ago and you will go that's fair and then he will go the show's about to start can you please leave the stage madam or sir or them and you'll go that's a good call and then let's just listen to the podcast Um, if you want to go to patreon.com to support this rambling idiot in all the things he does you can go there um, share it around rate review subscribe all that good stuff and let's get to that friggin interview Know that these walls only up for protection. World on guard, got them all on the edge. Walls at eight feet, barely balance the tension. Raising the heat, I could leave any second. Fall to the street and be home by 11. Do an interview with KP on the session and laugh when he asks if it's passion or an obsession. Yes, the point I'm at, there's no difference. A thin line between careful. Hello, Mike. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Um, you are a stand-up comedian and writer, yeah? That's correct, yeah. Um, how did you first start getting into stand-up? Um, I was in college at NYU, and I'd, it was something that I always had wanted to try. And I think that people have been like, well, just do it. And eventually <laughs> I found an open mic through Google that was like, you know, a mile away from my dorm, and I, and I started Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you remember where would the was the open mic? The open mic was at New York Comedy Club, which still exists. It's oh, gone wow. through like a bunch of different owners since then. Uh-huh. But yeah, that was the first open, and they had like this tiny room that's now I think actually a broom closet, but it was like <laughs> their backup room. Yeah. And it was this tiny, long room where people could only sit like one like one row of chairs against a wall, and then the other side of the wall was a comedian. It was so terrible. That sounds like the worst. It was really the worst. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so how many, And how long ago was that? That was probably 11 years ago. Wow. Way yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's great that you climbed all the way up to being asked to be in podcasts now. No. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but how, like, did you grow up... You said it's something you'd always wanted to do. Did you grow up like consuming comedy in a major way? Um, sort of. Like I, I definitely enjoyed comedy. I wouldn't say I was like a 
comedy nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, but growing up in Florida, we took a lot of road trips when I was a kid. And I know that my, my dad liked comedy. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those road trips, we'd listen to a lot of George Carlin albums or Sam Kinison albums or Richard Pryor albums just because you'd be on these four or five hour road trips. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of my stand up that I got as a kid were from things that my dad liked that we just had no choice but to listen to when we were driving <laughs> to like Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. Um, you said you're not a com- uh, you're not a comedy nerd, but um, I watched a bit of your set. Do you describe yourself as like a regular nerd? At I would all? say, I'm, yeah, I'd say I'm a nerdy person. Um, it's definitely harder to be a nerd right now with oh, for sure. a, a very toxic terrible subset of nerds running around so i would yeah. definitely say i'm nerdy but i wouldn't say i'm like a oh i like everything nerd mm. mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah um does that do you think that came from like did you have a like a classic nerd upbringing like with only a couple of friends or were you an only child like um i was a middle child which is sort of like you ah. know the other flip side of that yeah i was a middle <laughs> child I definitely didn't have a ton of friends until maybe high school, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, my family had money trouble sometimes, so we'd, like, not move a lot, but moved enough where, like, yeah. it was hard to, like, keep, like, a good set of friends as, like, a little kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, my family was the same way, so I hear you. Um, and now you, you've you been doing, like, a lot of, of, of writing for TV shows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And how was the transition from doing stand-up comedy to writing scripts and so forth? For me, it was pretty natural because mm-hmm. I started finding places to pitch writing pretty early on in stand-up. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, for a lot of stand-ups, like they do stand-up, they get big with it, they get on TV with it, and then like they get hired as a writer somewhere, or they get hired for a show, so they have to transition. Mm-hmm. For me, I was always trying to break in as a writer as well. So mm-hmm. for me, it just felt like a natural continuation um i think what a lot of people struggle with when they try to become tv writers from being stand-ups is they only know how to write for themselves and then when they write for someone else they don't understand that someone else has a different voice and style and rhythm to the way they speak mm-hmm. uh which is a challenge for a lot of people yeah that makes sense yeah um did you go to school for writing is that where you were in nyu uh, sort of. I was an English major at NYU, so I read a lot of things, but I wasn't really <laughs> there for writing. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, and there, you seem to have, like, with, like, Kinnison and, and Carlin, are your biggest influence, like, very verbose, sort of meticulous comedians? Yeah, I, I would say as a kid, they were definitely my biggest influences. I think once I started doing stand-up <clears throat> in New York and started meeting stand-ups and watching stand-ups, mm-hmm. people like Todd Berry or Janine Garofalo became much more influential on the way I do stand-up personally. That that makes sense. I, yeah. I, feel, I feel like every comedian falls into, oh, who are my peers that I admire? And then they're a big influence. Yeah. Um, have you been to other stand-up comedy scenes? And how, if so, how do they compare with New York? I've, I've moved around the country for different jobs. So I've been through Seattle and San Francisco and L.A. Mm. Um, they, they're they all good, you know. <laughs> I mean, the smaller cities have smaller scenes. Yeah. I would say San Francisco scene is, is awesome. L.A. scene is huge. It's very, very, very big. So mm-hmm. sometimes it can feel hard to break in. Um, compared to, like, New York scene is big, but it's, I would say, still smaller than the L.A. scene. Mm-hmm. San Francisco scene has like you know a good amount of like artsy people in it. It's it's sort of what you'd expect, but each city scene is actually pretty good. 
Noted. Noted. Yeah. Um, so, now coming to the whole, unless there is any other background information that people no, yeah. would like you to know, the whole reason we're here. Um, you've talked on your podcast, which you do, um, called, it's called Being a Human, right? How to Be a Person. How to Be a Person. I'm sorry. Don't worry about it. Um, how to Be a Person, which I've listened to a few episodes. It's very good. You should definitely check it Thank out. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you talked about um, going through depressive episodes there and then also on Twitter every once in a while. Um, yeah. And in retrospect, I realized that the day I reached out to you was the day with Bourdain and all that. Oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, I hope he doesn't think I'm just trying to capitalize. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Um, on this guy. But you've been really open about it, which I'm really appreciative of. But when did you first sort of realize that you had that genetic inkling to be bummed out, I guess? I think I I knew something was wrong with me when I was really little. I think maybe six or seven. Really? Like I remember being six or seven and I would like hide under the couch or hide under my bed. And not because something was going down, but I was just like, I just don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be around. And I just you know what i now recognize as maybe like suicidal thoughts or or just general depression mm -hmm. um i was just like oh like i just don't want to be anywhere yeah 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 okay that's really really young and so yeah how did you navigate that as a young person i i mean i i guess i didn't really <laughs> i didn't know how to sure uh because it wasn't something i knew was weird either and i was sort of a shy kid to start with so i wasn't someone who would like express every feeling i had mm -hmm. um which probably also contributed to it because i you know bottled things up a lot as a kid so mm -hmm. you know i really did nothing to deal with it i just thought like everyone felt this way until again maybe like high school mm -hmm. middle school or high school and i'm like oh not everyone just feels bad all the time this isn't something we're all pretending doesn't mm -hmm. feel this way yeah um so i just sort of like went through it until college when i started seeing like a therapist okay yeah. yeah was there specifically like a, a breaking point or anything with it or did you just kind of look and go ah, i should just go uh i think it was easier to access since mm -hmm. i was in new york it was easier to access and kind of just feeling you know one of those moments when you're like ah god you know like when you feel so bad about yourself that you suddenly sign up for a gym it was sort of <laughs> like that but for therapy where you're like oh okay i'll do it all right fine yeah. <laughs> anything is better than this yeah anything is better than this exactly yeah that absolutely makes sense um and has it affected like or rather how has it affected like your interpersonal relationships growing up with like friends and family and stuff like that I mean, it definitely makes it hard. It definitely mm -hmm. makes, you know, to this day, it makes relationships hard and it makes friendships hard just because it's something that makes it hard for you to sometimes always function on the same level as other people, mm -hmm. whether it be, you know, to engage emotionally or, you know, sometimes it'll cause, you know, it can cause attention span problems, which can make relationships difficult and annoying. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it's not something that I would say, you know, makes it impossible to do anything mm -hmm. but it's definitely affected things it's definitely made uh you know it's definitely like ruined some relationships sure yeah <laughs> sure yeah that, that, yeah that makes sense yeah it's really hard finding a balance between like i have this thing and we're partners here but also yeah. we're not i'm not gonna lean on you too heavily yeah, yeah. exactly yeah that makes sense um and now 
I I found like like the majority of stand-up comedians have some at least some level of anxiety or depression and is that also been the case with you or like not to speak to I mean specific accounts because people should have agency over their narrative. Right. But in general would you agree with that or disagree? Um I don't know. I've thought a lot about that. Uh I think I think it's possible just because you know like we're all creative people, so we tend to be more emotive. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's possible we're just given more cultural space to say we're depressed. Oh. So it might just be possible, like, as a group, we have the same level of depression. But because we can be like, I feel bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. it just seems like, because if you had a dentist who is like, man, I want to kill myself. You'd be like, well, don't be my dentist. Yeah. You can't be my dentist. But if you have a comedian who's like, I want to kill myself. You're like, oh, I know. This is where you go with a story or something. So I think that we also, it's very possible we are more depressed. It's also just possible that our sample size is much more allowed to say we're depressed. That's, that's very, oh, that's very good. Okay. I had not thought about it that way. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, do you find that like when you are depressed, do you find it hinders or it helps your creative process? Um, it depends on why I'm depressed and it depends on what I'm, what I have to make. Mm. So, you know, when I'm when I'm writing like if I'm writing monologue jokes for like an award show or, you know, back when I was on Fallon writing monologue jokes, I those you can't really write depressed. I mean, you can write depressed, but like those you sort of need to like pump out very quickly because you're kind of like just get it out. Joke, joke, joke. It's sort of a numbers game yeah. with monologue jokes. And so when you're depressed, it's hard when you're like, well, I don't know what's funny about this. I don't I don't mm. care. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes when I'm writing something that I'm very emotional about, like when I'm writing for something for Samantha B, mm-hmm. you know, if if I feel a lot about it, it makes it easier to like actually put feeling into it. Mm-hmm. So it really depends. I wouldn't say it, it ever. I wouldn't call it an advantage in any sense, but I wouldn't say nor is it like this thing that makes it impossible to do work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's neutral. <laughs> Neutral. I would say neutral. Yeah. Neutral is a good way. Yeah, it's almost like you still have to do your job no matter what mindset you're in. You, yeah, which yeah. can be hard sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sidestepping the conversation that we were having for a little bit, I'm actually I'm interested in how you started getting into podcasting and that sort of thing as well. Oh, sure. Um, I, I was working at The Tonight Show with Jess Dweck, who's also a very funny comedy writer, mm-hmm. and we were talking about how we wanted to do something that was outside of work, but kind of low impact. Like we didn't want to do like we didn't want to do like our own monthly show or something at UCB. Mm-hmm. And we both started talking about how we're both terrible people. We don't know anything. We don't know how to be people. <laughs> sure. Like we don't understand how to make friends. We don't understand how to, you know, parallel park. So mm-hmm. we came up with this podcast idea where people would teach us their life skills uh, oh. called How to Be a Person. And it's mm-hmm. been really good. I mean, we've sort of strayed from it, like every podcast where it starts very close to the theme and then becomes sort of a mashed potato mess. Yeah. But uh, it's fun to do. Yeah. You know, we've been doing it for about two and a half or three years now, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. That is great. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's very strong. I would say also a very strong premise. Like, Thank you. Because I, I often find with podcasts that when it becomes like you were saying, like a mashed potato weirdness, it becomes so unfocused that it's not exactly listenable. It, but yeah. all the episodes I've heard with you are like, yep, we're still staying on task and this is the theme. And Thank you. Yeah. So it's good. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, I find 
why do you think as a as a comedian who has a podcast why do you think most comedians have podcasts though why do you think the link is there because well definitely with comedians because um you just want to be heard mm-hmm. um and you both want to be heard on like a artistic level and on you know on a level of like success where there's so many of us now mm-hmm. the pool is so big um and people say there's too many podcasts well it's like yeah but you if you're going to become successful you need to find a way to get heard mm-hmm. and the more of us there are the more that the harder it is to be heard you know mm-hmm. um so podcasts are like an easy way for people especially if you're not in a big city to be funny publicly mm-hmm. and get their voice out there so i i think it's healthy i know that it's annoying that there's so many podcasts <laughs> but i think it's healthy yeah, um, I'd agree. Um, how do you feel about the just swath of comedians now that are coming out of the woodwork? Um, you know, I mean, it's I came out of the woodwork, so I feel <laughs> like if you know, there you want. I feel people always want to be able to be like, no, I'm I'm the good generation that did this. Like mm-hmm. my crowd of comedians five years ago, those are real comedians, and now people aren't <laughs> comedians. And you're like, it, it's it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I think it's, you know, it's good that people like comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, my only fear is that the bubble will, I don't think it'll burst, but I think it'll contract over the next couple of years. Yeah. There's going to be fewer and fewer jobs and fewer and fewer places to do comedy. Mm-hmm. And I'm worried about what that will look like. I don't want that to happen, and I would love to be proven wrong about it. I just mm-hmm. worry that it will happen. Yeah. And do you think that the, um, because at least for me, there seems to be a lot of 20-somethings doing comedy. And I know that's kind of generally the case, but also do you think it has to do with the political climate that people are turning to comedians and turning into comedians? I think it, I I definitely think it's the political climate. I also think that um, things like YouTube stars, podcast stars, you know, the idea that you can be a sort of, you know, one-person show and become Mm -hmm. famous off that, I think is super appealing. You know, yeah. it the the bar for entry to becoming a comedian is far lower than that for becoming even like a musician. With musician, you got to have musical equipment. You have to have at least some knowledge of how to use musical equipment. You yeah. have to most likely have friends who want to play that with you. Whereas with stand-up comedy, at least when I started, I spent 15 minutes thinking of something, went on stage, bombed, but at least I had started the process. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So the barrier for entry is so, so low that I think that you know, if you're just somebody who wants to say something or be seen, it's it's very appealing. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that absolutely tracks and makes sense. And I know there are a few like older ish comedians and that are a little, um, oh, uh, annoyed by the younger generation of like YouTube people coming in and the Viners and that sort of thing. And yeah. How do you feel, Slash, have you run into older comedians clumping you in with that generation? I'm not sure how old you are. I'm sorry. I didn't do that much research. I uh, am 95 years old. I oh. was born. <laughs> I was, I was survived the Titanic. No, um, okay. <laughs> I, um, I, like for me, I, I don't care how someone gets famous. Sure. I think that there's going to be disadvantages and advantages to every path that anyone takes. But the thing is there's different paths. Like I have friends who wrote 
one New Yorker article that went viral and then they started getting offered writing jobs. Hmm. You know, I have friends who have been doing stand up for years and have their own specials, but also, um, you know, don't know how to break into writing. Mm -hmm. Like I have friends who are great writers, but terrible stand ups. Like there's so <laughs> many different ways to make it. Yeah. And I think that there's this fear from older stand ups where it's like, oh, well, they got they got famous this way that if I had done that, I would have been famous, which isn't mm. necessarily true. You know, mm -hmm. being a YouTube star or being a podcast host or being a good Viner, you know, it takes skill, but it also takes a massive amount of luck that, you know, because you and I both have seen hundreds and thousands of terrible YouTube videos that aren't <laughs> going to become stars and like vines that thought they were funny, but weren't like so yeah. like any path to comedy, it takes so much skill and so much luck. And the fact that there are more paths to comedy, I think, is good that it's not the stratified thing where you either have to you know, go to Harvard and be in the lampoon or move to New York and LA and just like hit the street and hope you can survive. Sure. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Like it's kind of easy, like like you're saying, it's easier to access it. And that I think is always good because there's nothing worse than the comedy elite. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the way it was for so long that I think that there's a lot of people who are uncomfortable with it. Like they still want that, that, cl that class system kind of. Yeah. Um, on my end of things, it feels like if you're a standard comedian, people can assume you can write. And if you, well, it kind of feels like if you've gone to UCB and you've done improv, you can do stand up. If you can do stand up, you can write. If you can write, you can write a script. If you can write a script, you could probably be in the movie. And there seems to be that logical progression to it. And as yeah. someone who works actively in the industry, is that correct? Or am I kidding myself? Um, the only place you're kidding yourself is be in the movie. Mm -hmm. I think I mean here's the thing is if you're a performer there is a good chance you will be in a movie mm -hmm. um, but you cannot assume that's something you write you would be in sure often and it's weird because in television the writers have so much more power than they do in movies yeah uh, so for TV when you're a TV writer I mean not like always for every job mm -hmm. but when you're a TV writer you're on set you know, you're, everything has to be made kind of so fast that there's not like a lot of time for things to be muddled with. Um, so on TV, writers have a lot of power. Mm -hmm. In movies, what I've heard, because I do not write, I would love to write movies someday, but I have friends who have written movies. In movies, it's much more like we've bought your script, we'll ask you for input once in a while or a rewrite, but overall you have no say. Sure. So it sort of depends on also where you want to go with that. Sorry, that was a total detour. That's quite all right. Um, it answered a question I didn't ask but wanted yeah, to. Yeah, I apologize. So, no, no, you're quite good. Um, but what I really mean by that is there seems to be this assumption that if you can do one thing, you can do many things. And um, yes. as someone who does two things, have you ever gotten bumped up against like someone's expectation for you? Um, is yes and no. Uh, no in that, like, you're right. I think that people are like, oh, you can do, if you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And a lot of this industry does run on people sort of faking it until they make it. Sure. On the other hand, all those things take time. Mm. So I would definitely say I, you know, I sacrificed some of my stand-up career when I focused much more on writing. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I'm, my stand-up career is over or anything, but I, you know, I don't go on the road that much. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I don't do as many festivals as I might want, you know, because I have to be at work Thursday or Friday. Yeah. So, so 
and even just time-wise, like there's nights that I have to work late on a total script rewrite for my job. So you mm -hmm. might have to cancel a show or two. So it's definitely possible to do all things, but there's always going to be a point when, you know, not everyone's going to be able to sit down and glover it where they can handle everything perfectly. Sometimes yeah. there's like a point where you're like, oh, I just don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of on that transitioning back on that note, um, when you do have a bunch of projects and a lot of people are asking a lot from you, how do you cope with the stress and does it make you anxious? And like, how do you deal with that emotionally? Um, it definitely makes me anxious. It makes me anxious all the time. Um, mm -hmm. The way I deal with it emotionally, uh, when, I, when I'm not like suddenly just being like, I'm going to get drunk. Um, <laughs> the way I deal with it emotionally, Smart. I try to break things up into very small categories. Mm. Like I try to make like everything like a very tiny task to do so I don't get overwhelmed by it all at once. And I try to sort of do like dumb little things where like I break things up so it feels like not just one long day, but like, mm -hmm. you know, okay, you can take a 15 minute break or play a video game for a little bit and come back or like switch things. I just try to make it so it doesn't seem like I'm just monotonously going through everything that I have to do. Mm. That's, I think, very smart. Uh, because, like, it makes everything, I would assume, more accomplishable. You feel like, oh, this yes. is boom, 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 boom. Um, so you, do, you, uh, do you often use the drink to cope with stresses and that sort of thing? And if this isn't too personal a question, do you sure. think you have a healthy relationship with um, barbiturates and alcohol? Uh, I definitely think that I have sometimes when I'm stressed, drank too much. Mm -hmm. um, I, don't, I don't really do any hard drugs like the hardest drug I've, i probably do is like pot once in a while mm -hmm. so it's not like i'm not a 1970s comedy writer where i'm just <laughs> doing cocaine to stay up i sure. I've definitely drank too much when when i was stressed i don't mm -hmm. think i wouldn't say that it, it is at a problematic level although that's what you're supposed to say when it's at a problematic level <laughs> um yeah. i don't think it's at a problematic level just because i don't really like do anything with it like it's more <laughs> sure. like the problem i have with me drinking is i just end up doing nothing i end uh -huh. up doing nothing or i end up like just going online and like writing twitter jokes but i don't end up working on anything mm -hmm. you know i don't drive or anything like that so it's not like ever been a danger to me but it's definitely been like there's definitely been plenty of nights where i'm like oh i shouldn't have i sh shouldn't have drank that much i could have written a script or i could have mm -hmm. picked up a stand-up show or something sure sure that all makes sense yeah um so like a normal level of performer using anxiety drinking yeah 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 totally um yeah um and when you are like really really anxious or you're depressed or both sometimes which is always fun yeah uh, um how do you get out of your own way in order to be productive to actually get that script done or that joke written um, it's hard. It's very hard to do. It's hard to get out of that way. Sometimes you kind of have to see if there's a way you can lead that part of you along with it. So it stops standing in the way and you're like, well, maybe we'll do this and be depressed. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just about, you know, anxiously sort of finding the right setting for yourself to do something or promising yourself that if you only do it for a half hour. Mm -hmm. Really, it's, it's just about finding a way to almost like 
you know, getting out of a chair that like you're stuck in where you, you almost have to like roll your body forward a couple times. Yeah. Like mentally you kind of have to be like, okay, here we're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to, and we're up. Like, it's almost like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That absolutely makes sense. So there's no specific technique you would use just like other than like amping yourself up and giving yourself those first two swings. Amping yourself up. Um, you know, I also have been trying more breathing exercises, like just mm-hmm. like making sure that you're not just like, hyper breathing because you're stressed out mm-hmm. when you first started like confronting this uh were you ever on medication or are you on medication for your depression or is it just therapeutic i've been on medication the medication that i've tried i've tried a couple kinds mm-hmm. didn't work that well for me and i gained mm-hmm. weight which is like a huge stressor for me because i sure. grew up overweight so it mm-hmm. was one of those things where for me just for me not that has you know because different medicines work for different people different ways for mm-hmm. me, it, it didn't quite work because it, it felt more like it was turning the volume down a little, but not enough that it made a difference. But I was gaining so much weight that I felt bad for a different reason. Ah, that, that makes sense. So, you know, it was kind of like if you were like, oh, I'm not I'm not anxious about doing comedy, but now I have no money. You know what I mean? And you're suddenly <laughs> like, oh, OK, now I'm upset about something not really, you know. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. That said, I do believe in medicine and I'd be... If, it, if my depression got much worse, I'd up, be up for trying something else. It was just mm-hmm. in that specific situation, it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And growing up, um, being an overweight kid, do yeah. you think that affected your like self-esteem level and how you view how you view others, people's viewing you and that compound the depression, do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that definitely made the depression harder. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that it definitely your your value a lot as a kid especially you know i grew up in you know the mostly in the 90s but uh, you know i was in kindergarten in 1989 Mm -hmm. um and being when you're when you're an overweight kid it definitely affects how other kids treat you and it definitely makes you feel ostracized and you know unlike something like being nerdy overweight's not really like a friend group like it's not like ah there's you know the overweight kids hang out like you know it's more like the nerds jocks whatever Mm -hmm. and my middle school and high school were super diverse so we didn't really have those cliques but definitely in like elementary school and in my neighborhood growing up people were addicted to me because i was overweight so yeah it definitely makes you internalize things and sort of like build your own world inside and create a shell outside which Mm -hmm later on in life sometimes makes you a little too sensitive or a little too, you know, thin skinned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, once again, if it's not too much of a personal sure. question, do you ever cope by like stress eating and that sort of thing? Is that a thing for you? Or Absolutely. Not so much? Yeah, totally. Okay. Totally, totally a stress thing, stress eating. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I always have friends who are like, ah, oh, I can't eat anything because I'm depressed. I was like, man, mm-hmm. I wish, wish <laughs> I wish my depression manifested that way. It does not. Yeah. Um, and how do you counteract that when you think it's becoming an issue? Um, I try to only keep relatively healthy food in my house, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't always work because, you know, I don't have all the time in the world. But I try to keep things like, well, if I'm going to stress eat, I'm going to stress eat like, you know, dill pickles or, <laughs> you know, almonds or things like yeah. that that aren't necessarily, you know, like I just if I don't have Pringles in my house, I'm not going to down a can of Pringles because I'm sad. But if yeah. I have a bunch of broccoli florets, I'll eat that. So I try <laughs> yeah. to just work with the stress eating as best as I can. 
Yeah, that that absolutely makes sense. And I think a lot that's something that when you have that kind of personality where you need when you when you are anxious, you need to consume something. I feel like a lot of people don't realize that it could be anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I recently started with baby carrots because like it's better than potato chips. Exactly. But that's all like you seem to have a pretty good lock on how to handle this stuff at least from the outside it looks that way um <laughs> uh and do you think that's because of the therapeutic techniques that you've been learning i think it's, learned um well i i definitely wouldn't say I de- it might look very very easy from the outside but on the inside it is a roiling sea <laughs> it is a roiling sea of depression but uh sure i would say that a lot of it has to do with well i mean i've also had it so long that mm-hmm. You know, in some also some healthy and unhealthy ways, I've learned to cope with it because I've had it since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. I also think going to therapy. I think, um, you know, working with other people that have mental health stuff that I've talked to about it. So just a combination of different things. But a lot of it's really like, you know, you trying things out for myself, trying techniques, mm-hmm. whether it comes from the outside or something that like I think of that hope will be a placebo effect on my brain, but. Mm-hmm. It's really just about exploring what you can find about it and and definitely doing therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, have you, like, are you trying anything new currently? Um, I'm trying to exercise more again. I go up and down with exercising. I try, I'm trying to exercise more again. My therapist has also had me try to, like, go do things by myself during the weekend, during the day. Mm-hmm. Sort of in this way where, you know, in her sense she's like do something that's not related to work and it's not related to you having to make someone else happy in that situation mm. you know but it's also not at home so do something outside that's not just like catching up on a show or watching a video game yeah and it's actually been kind of nice it's been kind of nice to like be like oh just do something for you and not have any expectations go along with it yeah yeah i absolutely can understand that um that's my go-to for that is grocery shopping yeah because it's all the delight of shopping, but you know you need food. You're not wasting money, in quotes. Right. All right. Uh, did you go, like, I know when I got my diagnosis and that sort of thing, did you go, uh, I went through, like, a very heavy research phase about the condition. Did you also do that? Uh, yeah, totally. I, like, looked into everything I could find about it and read books, like, on it. Books ranging from, like, good ones to, like, being like, oh, this cover looks like it'll make me feel better if i read this mm-hmm. and uh yeah i definitely went through a huge research phase yeah um are there any recommendations of books that uh you would make you know what honestly i don't remember i don't remember any <laughs> good uh books i definitely would recommend researching it because the more you know about it i find the less not scary because it was never scary but the less depressing it is kind of when you're like, mm-hmm. oh, it's con- like the more you kind of like, oh, it's not weird for me to have this, the easier yeah. it is to handle. Absolutely. Um, do you ever, I've only seen a couple of your sets. Do you ever use uh, your depression as a catalyst for joke making? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think that since it's something that I feel a lot and I feel very strongly, it's kind of a good thing to put into words. I agree. Um, there are a lot of people. The, a lot of people these days. A lot of people. Who, mm, that are very 
don't joke about x y and z and one of them is like mental health and because you're trying to make light of a very serious situation how how do you feel about that um well i think you know usually when i'm making fun of mental health i'm making fun of my own mental health so i think that's okay i think you know if you're making fun of something that you deal with or have dealt with i think that's fine and you know i don't think on some grand First Amendment level, any joke should be banned or anything. But I definitely think that the skill level required for certain topics is much higher if you're not in the group that deals with that. Um, yeah. That all said, you know, when I make fun of mental health, I make fun of my own mental health. I'm not, like, mm-hmm. making fun of others. Do I think it's something people shouldn't joke about? I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on what mental health condition you're talking about and why and, like, you know the angle you're coming from if you're punching up or down but at least as far as i'm concerned i'm totally fine with making fun of it okay that that makes sense are there any topics that you're like no don't do that uh a lot of a lot of topics i'm i'm probably not gonna do uh you know Uh like i'm not gonna do like you know i'm not gonna do material about like sexual assault or anything like that like the the topics we've all agreed upon to not do i'm okay with agreeing Mm -hmm. to not do them yeah um how like and just kind of sliding into this little bit of it of like how do you feel about the current climate surrounding comedy specifically on twitter and like that sort of thing i think it's like i think it's complicated and i think that there's a lot of bad faith going around there's a lot of like mm -hmm. you know people are like well this person did this 10 years ago it's the same as this and it's like no it's not and there's a difference between joking about a topic and being racist and Mm-hmm. You know, it it sort of seems like people are trying to set traps rather than actually being upset about something, which at certain times is like, it's like, okay, we get it. Like, you're mad that Roseanne was fired, so you're going to get James Gunn fired. It, okay, fine. I don't know what you've accomplished now. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that there's, there's a lot of bad faith. I also think that it's not as scary as everyone's trying to make it out to be. Like, everyone's like, all oh, these people mm. are offended by everything. And it's like, but the people who are getting people fired aren't offended. They're just mad about what they think other people are offended about, which those people aren't. So I think it's become this weird mess. Mm-hmm. This artificial mess. It's I don't think that there's a huge censorship culture. I don't think college campuses have a huge censorship culture. I think a lot of this is this artificial, you know, not fear mongering, but this artificial like panic about censorship that isn't really happening. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, I, I could see that because it feels like it's a very select few online only. Yes, because I've never been to like a comedy show and someone hasn't like taken me aside and been like, "Hey, man, you really shouldn't." Blah blah blah. Right. Blah, yeah. Blah. Or like I, I haven't, at least to my knowledge, not been booked for a show after I've done it because of X, Y, and Z. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think Twitter, though, and like social media contributes to your um, mental distress with anxiety and that sort of thing? Oh, totally, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I definitely do. I definitely do. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is? Um, just people are terrible, and you know, <laughs> okay. and like sometimes, like you'll tweet something that. If it does, if it does well, like you'll get responses where someone will be like, "Here's here's my twelve tweet thread response to you," and you're like, oh, "I don't want to read this." Or you'll have like just like annoying people or like people who like it too much, but in a way where they're like, "I really want to talk about my experience now," and you're like, "I don't have the emotional ability to handle all of this." Um, mm-hmm. It just like 
general people being assholes or like you always have especially in comedy one or two comedians who are fighting with each other about something that doesn't matter <laughs> you know like yeah you know the civil war over whether nanette is good or not is like yeah it's like it's a comedy special just why do we have to why do we have to go through this <laughs> yeah that's that's fair um when you do like a tweet about something like a like when when Bourdain passed away yeah. or any other sort of thing viewing mental health um what other responses been and how important do you think doing stuff like that is the responses overall were good the responses were mostly people being like yes this is how i feel or it's nice to see this in words or i want to show this to people who don't understand which is always nice mm -hmm. to do that you know of course you also get responses like that's not what it's like at all <laughs> it's like okay <laughs> i mean i was really explaining my experience um you know yeah. or people were like depression doesn't exist but i think like when something like that does well you know there's a lot of people who complain about social media will complain saying that it's all just preaching to the choir and to mm -hmm. a certain extent that's not untrue however sometimes it's important for the choir to hear that preaching sometimes like mm -hmm. you know when you write about depression if it's like yeah well it's just a bunch of people who agree depression's a problem we're gonna like this yeah but it also helps to see you know to be like oh yeah that's the thing i'm feeling like someone else feels that someone else knows that i'm not mm -hmm. alone in feeling that i'm not a bad person for feeling this way you know it's it's the same thing with any sort of representation where if you see none of the way you are externally or internally on television or in media you're gonna think like okay so i am not as you know like my experience isn't as worthwhile as this experience so when you start seeing more and more of it and people talk about mental health i think it, it helps it helps to hear about it even if it it's the painful thing that you're experiencing yeah yeah that absolutely makes sense um when do you think you were at your worst and how did you get out of that um i've been at my worst at various times in my life i think mm -hmm. you know um you know when i've gone through like a bad breakup or you know once or twice i've taken a job that i thought would be this great life-changing job but it was like not a gig that i ended up enjoying mm -hmm. which you know i can't really get into detail too but yeah uh you know things like that like things like when you like start it when you you know when you're in entertainment a lot of the things you have to do are life-changing like i've had to move mm -hmm. around the country a lot and i've had to you know totally you know like when you work one comedy writing job it can be completely different from another and mm -hmm. those can be huge stressors even in the best of circumstances sometimes like finding a new apartment one year after you move before or like trying to get furniture moved doing mm -hmm. that so often can really uh mess you up if you have mental health issues so mm -hmm. i would say like big life-changing moments like that because just because of the move and the breakup that is usually involved when i have to leave a city behind yeah. Um, those all add up to, to being hugely stressful. Yeah. And how do you, how have you coped? Just power through it or? Power through it. Um, you know, try to focus on like whatever project I'm working on. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you know, power through it sounds, it sounds like you're doing nothing, but sometimes you have to just be like, okay, I have to move forward past this. I can't just concentrate mm -hmm. on the past, you know, and it's not ignoring the problem, but it is kind of like. I need to prioritize my future. Otherwise I will be sad about this forever. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, you in three months will be happy with the person you were three months ago for right. help. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on. It was a real pleasure talking to you. But you can try, you can try, you can try.